Father, we are grateful for your Son that you have given to us not only to save us, but to shape and mold and make us into the image that you have purpose in our lives. Lord, the reason why we are here and why we continue to be here is because of your grace and because of your patience that you would not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance, that they might be saved through believing in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. How would we do that, Lord, if you did not teach us? How would we know what is right to you and not what is right to us? So I pray, Lord, as you open up our minds to the scripture that you have taught, and Holy Spirit, would you come and would you perform the work that you are here to do, and that is to remind us of the things that Jesus has taught and teach us to understand what those things mean. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Learn of me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, Jesus says. After the Lord has sent the twelve out there to preach the gospel, the multitude was left and he spoke this to them. And in a turn of tone, he upbraided the cities. Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. And he said, Capernaum, you lift it up yourself. The thing that Jesus Christ is saying here. He named these cities by names and he is calling them out because of their unrepentant heart. The life of a city is its citizen. And when a city is in the judgment of God, everyone in the city is judged. Now, for those of you who think I'm speaking outside of the scripture, I'm still in Matthew 11. Now, Jesus did not just name this once. He went into Jerusalem. We sung the song, Hosanna. And he turned around and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets. The arrogance of a nation, of a city, brings judgment and condemnation. It's not only in the Old Testament when we see what happened to Nineveh. It's in the New Testament when we hear the Lord Jesus speaks. Judgment comes not because we are familiar with, I do, my fault, mea culpa. This is the sentiment of American idealism. We live in a, a country where we prize in our individuality. But the scripture and the Bible is a collectivist society. We don't exist in isolation. We exist together. And when Achan took the idols, Israel lost to Ai. One person sinned, the judgment of God came upon everyone. And you said that's the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, are we not members of the same body? And when one person is in pain, the whole body is in pain. What you do affects the body. What a person does affect a city. A nation is under God's judgment because of its impenitence. I want to start by taking
taking a bigger picture of where we are and what's happening to us. And you might say, well, God doesn't do this. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. We might want to read what we want to hear and see, but read it. See historically. Search the scripture and see. The arrogance only brings despair. And to God, there's only one way, and that way is repentance. When a person comes to God in repentance, there's mercy, there's forgiveness. But arrogance only brings despair. The Lord Jesus summoned those who are weary because they are sitting there anxiously waiting what will happen to them. And this is what he says, come to me. You see, he says, I will give you rest. You can't just come to Jesus and expect rest. Jesus has to give it to you. It's something that he has the authority to do. You might come to Jesus, that you might come to someone and they would not know you and they won't give you anything. You, if you want to have rest, Jesus must give it to you. There must be a relationship between the person and the Lord. Come to him and find rest in him in times of uncertainty. We will never be without uncertainty. And some of us try to find ways around uncertainty, especially here in America and maybe in Germany. Uncertainty avoidance index is high. America has a high uncertainty avoidance index. I grew up in a society, in a culture where uncertainty is the norm. I'm okay with uncertainty. I'm okay with not knowing. Have you ever think, sat in a car and someone start driving? And you have the urge of wanting to ask them, where are we going? Why are you going down that way? Why are you taking that road? If you're driving, I'm in the car. I don't know where you are going. I don't ask. It doesn't matter to me. But in a country like this, in Germany, there is a high uncertainty avoidance principle. We want to know. Tell me exactly what you want. Very low context. And the Bible isn't that way. Jesus does not try to remove all uncertainty because if there is no uncertainty, there's no need for faith. The whole biblical principle is based on faith. There are things that you are uncertain about and you just need to have faith. Sitting in that car, I might not know where we're going and it's okay. I trust the person who drives, take me wherever they want to and I'll enjoy it when I get there or not. It doesn't matter. So, Uncertainty is not something we want to avoid. Uncertainty is something I would, if you've never been exposed to it, hold on to it. It's exhilarating. It's, it's fun. Our governments and leaders do not have the answers to ease your anxious souls. The best they can do is to preserve your life or what will be left of it after this is done. The devastation we see all around us is ripping up families, relationships, everything that you hold dear. God has decreed since the beginning the answer to the state of affliction. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his son. He had decreed the Lord Jesus to come in humanity's darkest hour. He came when there was no hope. And he's still here shining the light through the church. The church can take many shape and form. But I believe in the true, invisible church of God that is the beacon of hope. 
there are people right now who are giving up their lives for the gospel, for the Lord Jesus Christ. They are not the ones that you will see and hear in the news. They pass away like a ship in the night. You don't see them. You don't hear about them. But they're giving up their lives for the gospel. The church is calling out to those of you who are anxious. Would you come? Would you learn from Jesus and live? If you want to know what anxiety is, the best person to learn from is Job. Let me read to you what he has to say in Job 17. My breath is corrupt. My days are extinct. The graves are ready for me. In verse 11, my days are past. My purposes are broken off. Even the thoughts of my heart, they change the night into day. The light is short because of darkness. If I wait, the grave is mine house. I have made my bed in darkness. I have said to corruption, thou art my father to the worm. Thou art my mother and my sister. And where is now my hope? As for my hope, who shall see it? They shall go down to the bars of the pit when all rest together is in the dust. Anxiety is when you don't know when something happens, not what will happen. Fear is that thing before the unknown. It is the when, not the what, that terrorizes us. We know we all will die, we just don't know when. That when, when will the market crash? That, we know it will. But the when is what terrorizes us, not what. The apprehension of the anguish that makes us, our fears grow within us. When God is silent, people scream and moan and in distress, inaudibly. We see it, but we can't hear it. It's like in a suspended state, waiting. When is this all be over? And it's like watching something that's going to drop, but just hanging there, waiting until it drops. Not knowing what will happen next is dreadful. But you know what? That is life. That's what we have here. Uncertainty is what we have. There is no solution to uncertainty. You just need to embrace it. King Solomon also has an answer to this. Ecclesiastes 9.12 for man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in a snare, so are the sons of men, snared in an evil time, when it falleth suddenly upon them. There's another kind of anxiety, and that is the anxiety of disobedience. You know what's right. You know what you ought to do. But when you don't do it, you know what will happen. So the time when the master is gone and when he comes back, that is a time of uncertainty because you know that you're living in disobedience to God. So disobedience is also the cause of your anxiety. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, and we'll come back to this one. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Our action comes from what inside, 
Good fruit comes from good tree, never from an evil tree. The things we do or not reflect the forces that motivate us to action. What you do comes from the motivation or the masters that's ruling in you. They came to listen, but they are unwilling to obey him. They want to ease their conscience by sitting there and watching Jesus as some will come to churches today or at home watching the channels. They want to ease their conscience, but when that is done, they will not do what the Lord wanted them to do. Now I'll tell you the different kinds of things that we invent so that we ease our minds and we say, oh, didn't I do in the name of the Lord? Living in disobedience causes anxiety. Apprehensions come knowing that there will come a time when the servant will stand before the master and the master will say, what have you done? What did you do all this time with my talents I've given to you? What have you done in my name? Some might think that they have the answer and respond positively. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. The Lord answers, no, you have not. Depart from me, workers of iniquities. The work of the Lord has three intertwining components. Number one is the what? The activity. What is it that God wants you to do? Not what is it that you think God wants you to do. The how, the methodology. Obeying, not inventing some new thing to do for the Lord. And number three, the when. The timing that the Lord wants you to do certain things. You all know this. You work, you go to school. The teacher gives you an assignment. You've got to do it the way that the teacher wants you to do it. You cannot do it the way that you want to do it. You can't turn it in whenever. And you can't do it however you want to do it, unless the teacher says that's okay. But you see, the Lord Jesus doesn't do that. He has very specific requests and commandments. And we might think, and we might get all creative hats on, and I'll tell you the truth, there's nothing creative right now. And we think, oh, did I not do this in your name? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I done all these things in your name? As long as I've done something and said, Jesus, in Jesus' name, isn't that okay? And Jesus says, no, that's not okay. That's not what I ask you to do. But as a church, do we know what the Lord is asking us to do? Or are we just taking some opinion, some survey, and what does everybody think that Jesus wants us to do? Do we know exactly what the Lord is asking us to do? Have we come to the table? Have we come to his feet? Have we sat there and we listened and been taught by him? Because the Lord is specific. He has a mandate because he himself was in the Father's authority and in obedience, he did the Father's work. Even though in the garden, he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You see, in our nature, we want to do things our way and we find some way of skirting, of circumventing, of cheating, not to do what God asks us to do. But Jesus says, no. There is a way, and that way 
Only I know. And I must tell you, I must instruct you. The Holy Spirit must teach you. Otherwise, you're just inventing things to do. And in the end, God said, depart from me. I have never known you. You did not hear from me. If you're not actively involved in the kingdom, don't worry about it. Don't worry about anything I just said. However, if you are engaging the kingdom's work, you must do what the Lord asks, the way the Lord wants it to be done, and in the time that he requires to be done. Not after I graduate from college, after I finish and retire. Question is, how do you know? How do you know what the Lord asks you to do? Jesus says, come, I'll teach you. He will teach us. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. We have time. Short period of time, but we still have time. And in the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now it's the time to repent. Repentance means you turn from what you are doing and return to the Lord. That's what repentance means. Repentance is not, let me see where in the Bible fits what I'm doing right now, and I'm going to take that and think that is what God is asking me to do. Drop everything, come to Jesus, sit down and learn. You will find out everything that he's teaching you is not anything in here. It's completely different. For my ways are not your ways. My path is not your path. You don't think like God. We don't think like God. Christ thinks like God, and we need to be taught by him. The Lord gives rest. I'm going to read you two passages in Isaiah. The first one is in chapter 48, verse 22. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. The second one is in chapter 26, verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusted in thee. The two kinds of people. The one who has peace and one who does not. The ones who have peace are the ones whose mind stayed on God. Not on the task that you're trying to accomplish, but stayed on God. There are many roads in life. All of them lead to destruction, and many will head toward them unwittingly. It's the ignorance who will kill you. There is a way that leads to life. Few have found it. The way of peace is only found in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. When I mean knowledge, I mean relationship. When you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then you find peace. Otherwise, you're living in disobedience. You know what you ought to do, but you're not doing it. There is, however, another kind of rest. Not for man, but for the unclean spirits. You and I, all of us, houses. In other words, we are temples. And we can be temple where the Lord is there. And if the Lord is there, there's peace. But there's another kind of temple. There's another kind of residence. And the Lord talk about this one. Peace comes with knowledge. When you know something, you have peace. When you don't know something, you're anxious, you worry. What will happen? Come unto me, all ye that are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is an active. It's not that you are in his presence. You have rest. He has to give you rest. You cannot find rest outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is the only person who can bestow rest upon your soul. Three things are required to receive this promise. First, you must be able to hear Jesus' voice, the gospel. Are you listening to the gospel or are you listening to the words of men? Am I speaking the gospel to you? If I'm not, then you're not hearing Jesus' voice. Number two, you must understand and believe that Jesus is not lying to you. When he said, come unto me, I will give you rest. Do you believe that? And number three, you must come to Jesus to learn how to handle rest. We live in a society where there's a gig economy. And truly, there is no rest for the wicked. I used to go to work. There is a, a desk. There's a computer. There's a monitor, a keyboard, and a mouse. I work, and then I get up, and then I go to the gym, go to the mall to eat, or go home and sleep. I have no other means to work besides that place that I call my office. Now, COVID happened. The computer comes home and stays in the room. There's no rest. It's just work perpetually. We don't know how to rest. We don't know how to to rest physically, how many of you stay up and then can't get up? We don't know when to stop when the phone rings and dings. It's time to jump in the car and go pick up somebody, deliver something, go somewhere. 24-7, unending. We don't know how to rest. And you know what? This will continue because we believe that productivity means that you need to do more harder, more time. We don't know how to rest. Jesus says, I will teach you how to rest. Come to Jesus. Learn from me. We need to learn how to rest. I need to get that computer out of the room. Fools reject knowledge. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. There's no peace without knowing the Lord of peace. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. We do what we want to do, and we disobey the Lord or defer obeying the Lord because we have no fear of the Lord. There will come a time when we have to answer to the Lord. We don't believe it's real. We don't believe that Jesus will come back. And that's how we live our life. Your life, your house, your temple depends on who is ruling in that house. Who is the master of your house? There are two masters. Let me go back and tell you about this other type of house. The house, the temple, that is the place for what Jesus called unclean spirits. A person whose life is not inhabited by the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not the Lord of your temple, there is no state in which the house has no master. Matthew chapter 12, 43 and 44. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, 
He walked through dry places, seeking rest. Everyone is seeking rest, even the unclean spirits, and find it not. Then he said, "I will return to my house from whence I came out." This is the unclean spirit speaking. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. When the Lord Jesus does not inhabit your spiritual home, it's empty, waiting for someone else to inhabit. And that someone else is an unclean spirit. Actually, he's just a scout. He came there and he saw, "Hey, look, an empty house, no masters." The following verses tell you what he does, and then he goes out and invited seven other unclean spirits. And the latter state of that house is worse than the beginning. But if the Prince of Peace is the master of the house, the reign of Jesus' kingdom is peace. Jerusalem is called the city of peace. The New Jerusalem is the city of peace, where the Lord is the Prince of Peace. Those who come to Jesus find rest for their souls in Him. When Jesus dwells in this temple, in your residence, there's peace because He is the Prince of Peace. That is why He's calling you to come to Him. And when He rules in the house, the psalmist has this to say in Psalm 127, verse two: "In vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows, for so He giveth His beloved." See, in the presence and in the comfort of Jesus's reign, we find peace and we find rest and we find sleep. Outside of it, if your life is in turmoil right now, ask the question: Who is the master of your house? Who is in control? Come to Jesus, and He will give you rest. Learn from Jesus, and you will find rest for your soul. Let's go back with me to Luke chapter six, verse forty-six to forty-nine. I'm going to talk about the foundation of peace. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings, and doeth them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house. And could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man without a foundation, built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. In love, there is peace. In perfect love. There's perfect peace. Jesus is the embodiment of love. When we come to Jesus, because He loves us, and we know He loves us forever, heaven and earth can fail, but all that the Father has given to Jesus, and Jesus says, "All who come to Me, I will lose none." And as He loves us, He will love us until the end. Any kind of love that you have has an expiry date on it. There will be a time. And you don't know when. And that's the thing that causes our anxiousness. You get married today, you fall in love today, but when? When will it come a day when you look at each other 
and all you see are each other's faults. You know it, it will come a day where that initial love will no longer be there. There is the degradation of a relationship. But Jesus' love is perfected because in death, he still loves us. He loves you. There's a love that transcends anything that we have experienced in our human condition. It's the love of Jesus that held me till now. People who came said many things. I did the same. And then one day, we parted ways. It's a matter of when. When will the love that we have deteriorate and it's no longer there? It's once you see your baby, so cute, one day, you wish they just disappear. One day you see your parents so lovingly, and one day you wish that they just leave you alone. The Lord gives rest to those who come to him because when we come to Jesus, we know that he loves us forever. His love is perfect. We find peace because he loves us, and we know he loves us because he gave himself for us. No greater love than this lest the man lay down his life for his friend. The opposite is also true. There isn't rest nor peace for the wicked. Let us examine our spiritual house. You see, after the storm comes, after this thing is over, whenever it is over, look at the churches. What remains? Which foundation has the church built on? And I believe that the fire must come. I believe that the storms must come so that we know judgment will first be in the house of the Lord. I want to know. You build a house, you want to know if it's going to survive because when you have your babies in there, you want to make sure that it won't collapse. So what do you do? You want to test it. You want to hire the best structural engineer to come in there and look and check it out because your babies, your kids, your children, your loved ones will be in there. How are you building your spiritual house? Is it strong? Will it survive this COVID? Will your faith survive when the storm comes? Will it remains or it's going to be a rubble? Examine your spiritual house. Peter tells us of a faith that is tested with fire. A faith has been through the fire. And if after the storm, the house that remained, that's the one I want to put my baby in there. That's the one I want my family to live in. Your faith has to be tested. Otherwise, how would you know? You will live in fear. You don't want the next storm to come because you don't know whether or not it's going to survive. Will your faith survive? And I'd rather know now because that anxiety of the wind is daunting. I'd rather know now that I don't know anything so I can start my education. I'd rather know now in the beginning of the quarter whether this class is too hard for me so I can drop or maybe not get it on my transcript. I'd rather know now than wait until the final comes. I look at the test, have no clue. Know now. Put yourself through the tempest. Put yourself through the shaking of the Lord. 
and see whether or not your faith will stand the shaking. See if your faith survived this COVID. See if your faith survived this time. Life is an indiscriminate crucible. It doesn't care whether you are of a certain color, of a certain gender. It doesn't care. Life is a crucible. It will burn. It will test everything and see what it can burn because it wants to burn up everything. Fire wants to consume. And so put yourself to the test. But first, you need to learn to build something on it first because you have nothing. You got nothing left. Come to Jesus. Learn so that you will build something. He will build something on that foundation that is the rock. What is the substance and essence of your faith? What is it made out of? What does it consist, the substance? Where does it come from, the essence? What foundation is your spiritual house built upon? Is it on sand or is it on the Lord Jesus Christ? Will it survive the next COVID-20, COVID-21? Don't take that as a prediction. Who is the master of your house? Is it the unclean spirits? Or is it the Lord, the Prince of Peace? How do you build your foundation on Christ? Proverbs 24.3 Through wisdom is the house built it, and by understanding it is established. Understanding, knowledge, acquired through learning. It's the foundation in which you need to have to build your house. Without knowledge, you will be destroyed. Without knowledge, you won't survive. The coming storm, economic storm, social storm, spiritual storm that's coming, you won't survive. Ignorance will not save you. Ignorance will destroy you. If you want to build a house, you need to learn how to read the blueprint. If you want to build a house, you need to know how to survey the land. If you want to build a house, you need to have someone to instruct you. This is how to do it. And the only person who knows how to build a spiritual house is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't come to him, if you don't learn him, we won't know how to build our spiritual house. This is the time that I can't tell you all things that you are already doing that is good. I need to tell you what you ought to be doing, what you need to be doing. Because in a time of crisis, in a time of war, we don't need a lullaby. We need a clarion call to battle. We need to get up and we need to begin to learn and understand how am I building my life? The past six months, what had happened? What did you learn? Wisdom builds a house. By wisdom, God created everything that we see here. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God which builds the foundations of the world and everything that is in it. The house is built by understanding and by wisdom. Learn. Learn. We need to learn. There's so much we need to learn. Who do you learn it from? Who do you find your wisdom from? Come to Jesus. He will teach you. Come to Jesus. Learn of him. Now he goes on to say that his burden is light. Let's take a look at the Lord's burden. Let's take a look at what he's doing, how you are able to learn from him. What are you burdened with currently? Jesus says, come, let us exchange. I'll take your burden and you take my yoke. What fills your heart with anxieties and fear? Are the cares of this life choking out the peace that you once had? 
when you learned, when you knew Jesus, you came, and it was life. And now it's just fear and all the cares of the world. The yoke of the Lord is doing his Father's will. Do you know what the Father's will is? No. Only Jesus knows. The yoke of the Lord is doing his Father's will. Are you, am I, are we engaging the will of the Father? What is that? The burden of Jesus is to fulfill the work that the Father has given to him. And he said it's not grievous, nor is it overbearing. This is what the author of Hebrew paints for us, the picture of Jesus handling the burden of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross is nothing to sneer at. The cross, that same crowd that says, Hosanna! Shouted, crucify him! We are fickle. In one instance, we rally with the crowd, whatever the crowd says. Today, the crowd is your social media, those silos that you build your, your lives around. The echo chamber, it, it just reverberates the same thing over and over and we hear it. And then so we join the chorus. If they say Hosanna, we say Hosanna. If they say crucify him, we say crucify him. We don't know. We don't have our voice. But yet, I want my distinctiveness, individuality. But yet, everything we do is just joining in with the chorus. The cross is agonizing. The cross is painful. There is a, a spiritual landscape that's beyond our understanding. And only Jesus can teach us that. And that's why you can find rest in the midst of the storm. Because it's beyond this plane that we can see and feel and touch. Find rest by doing what Jesus does. You will not find rest if you're not in the center of God's will. If you are living in disobedience, in sin, you will never find rest. Never find rest. But if you come to Jesus wherever you are, are at right now, in sin, in despair, in agony, he will not turn you away. I believe his word. I believe his promise. I believe what he said. If you come to Jesus, he will not turn you away. Instead, he will teach you. He will teach you how to rest. He will give you peace. He will love you. Jesus' yoke is easy. His burden is light. What does that mean? What does it mean when Jesus says, learn of me? The Lord's life and work lay a foundation for victory. We saw what he did, how he lived his life, and how he conquered death. We saw. He laid a foundation that we can overcome sin and the flesh. When he was hungry, he resisted the devil's temptation. What do you do? What we do when we're hungry? We get angry. Learn of Jesus. Just watch him. See what he did. When the people want to lift him up to be their king, he turned away and he said, I still got my father's work to do. Every person is conceived in iniquity and in sin. The flesh is weak. And that's why Jesus came, sent by the Father, to do what the flesh could not do because it was weak. He did it for us. The flesh will succumb to the devil's wishes. We will do 
what the devil wants us to do unless we learn from Jesus. By God's grace, we come to Christ through the teaching of the Holy Spirit. We learn to overcome the flesh and to submit to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this, it is different than what you think. What Jesus wants us to do is not what we invent. It is different. It is the Father's will. Do you know what the Father's will is? If you don't, come to Jesus. He will teach you. Righteousness and true holiness, that's what he will teach you. The life of the Lord Jesus is marked by holiness and righteousness. Search the scripture, read it. Examine this man. Examine his life, what he spoke, what he said. People were not happy with the things that he said. He went to Jerusalem. The first thing he did, overturned the money changers table and drove the people out of the temple. That would get onto social media. Some madman came and did this. It's, you know, it's our impression, it's our forgotten impression of who Jesus is. Because we don't come to him, we don't read what is here. If you read it, and by the way, the Bible might be banned from your schools because it's filled with, well, not sensitive things. violates the law of nature. You know that? The Bible violates the law of nature. The physical law, law of physics, it violates that. Miracles, the virgin birth, the resurrection, all those things violate the law of nature. There will come a time, probably at the end of my time, but in the middle of your time, where you have to wrestle with this and you have to make a big decision in your life. Whether you are going to hold on to the word of God or you're not. Our lives are formed and shaped through the Holy Spirit molding from within us. The souls at rest are, are the souls that are shaped by the Holy Spirit. You see, it, it, I can't describe to you what kind of peace that the Lord brings to the heart that trusts in Him. I can't explain it to you. You must experience it. It's a, the peace that Jesus said transcends all understanding or explanation. It causes the turmoil to just be nothing. Anxieties are nothing. The Apostle Paul paints a portrait of a life that has learned Christ in his letter to the Ephesians. Let's end with this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through 24. He began by saying this, But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him, ye have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which is after God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you asking, would you draw us to you? Would you open our ears that we would heed the call of the gospel and come to you? Lord, would we find that place at your table? Would we gaze at your majesty and your glory? Would we learn, Lord, what you 
say? How would you want us to live? What would you want us to say? May your thoughts be taught to us that we may understand what is the will of the Father. God, I pray that we would be transformed in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and to put on your burden and be yoked together with you and begin to do the work that the Father has purposed in our lives. For there we will find peace, we will find rest for our souls. Give us, Lord, give the church at this time the, the heart and the willingness to get up and run to you and say, Jesus, teach me. Holy Spirit, open up my mind, open up my heart to see what you are saying to be understood by our mind in the depths of our understanding. May we begin to build upon this foundation that is unshakable in the storms that is to come. May this church be prepared, Lord, and those that are in it. May it be prepared to learn and continue to learn. May it be prepared to grow and continue to mature into the measure and to the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. May, may we never stop learning and pursuing the life and the work and the ministry of your kingdom. Lord, and may we know that you love us so dearly beyond all things that we have experienced. And may we come to the place where we hold on to that love and say, I believe you, Jesus. I believe you love me forever. Thank you, Lord, for the demonstration of that affection, that love, and for the invitation to come. May we learn from you in the days to come. And may we grow. And may we be filled with joy and gladness. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.